Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy, and ultimately get results with your host, Megan Weiss. Let's jump right in. Today, my guest is Ken Browse. Mr. Browse is Chief Financial Officer of Burford Capital with responsibility for managing and overseeing Burford's global finances and financial strategy. In that capacity, he oversees Burford's funding, capital management, financial reporting, and investor relations, and is a member of Burford's management committee and an ex-officio member of the Commitments Committee. Prior to joining Burford, Mr. Browse was Chief Financial Officer at New York Stock Exchange listed On Deck Capital. He previously served as Executive Vice President and Treasurer of CIT Group and CIT Bank, with responsibility for all areas of CIT's treasury function, including funding and liquidity, investments, balance sheet management, and capital management. After beginning his career at Booz Allen and Hamilton, he spent over 30 years in the financial services industry with leadership positions and senior finance roles at Bank of New York, now BNY Mellon, Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield, American General, now AIG, and Bankers Trust, now Deutsche Bank. Throughout his career, he worked with managements and boards in providing advice on strategy, mergers and restructurings, and in raising debt and equity capital, often working with companies during periods of transition or transformation. Mr. Browse received his MBA in finance and accounting from the University of Chicago Graduate School of Business, now known as the Booth School of Business, and his BS of economics in finance and management from the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. Ken, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Well, thanks, Megan. I uh, appreciate the invitation. It's, it's great to be here. Yeah, today we're going to be discussing your career journey and some of the lessons you've learned along the way. And as always, I'm looking forward to hearing your story and learning from you. So let's get started. Fantastic. First, let's start with you. If you could tell us about your career journey to date and how it is that you landed your current role at Burford Capital. Sure. And uh, it's at the stage now where it's, it's a lot of years. So uh, I'll do my best to, to make it as, as succinct as possible. But uh, out of college, uh, I started out in management consulting, uh, but then shortly uh, after that joined the financial services industry at uh, a company called Bankers Trust, uh, which is actually now part of Deutsche Bank. And, and I've really been focused on the financial services industry ever since. Uh, over the course of my career, I've, I've worked for uh, banks, specialty finance companies, insurance companies, and just prior to Burford, I worked for a fintech. And along the way, I've, I've held a variety of roles. Um, some were, were frontline revenue-generating roles and many support roles uh, that included strategic planning, financial planning and analysis. I spent a lot of time in investor relations and also in the treasury function. Uh, and also got to do a lot of special projects along the way, uh, which included a financial restructuring and a large acquisition integration. And how I got to Burford, I'd say, uh, was in a very traditional manner of both formal and informal routes. So I had left uh, my prior company after it was sold. So I, I happened to be uh, actively exploring new opportunities and as, as part of that uh, networking process, was speaking to an executive search firm about another opportunity when they mentioned that they were starting to work on 
uh, situation that could be of interest to me, but it was going to be several months till it actually was going to come to fruition. Uh, and frankly, that was just fine by me after uh, a lot of hard work in executing the sale of that uh, prior company. And it was Burford. And, and as I got to know the company, I realized that I actually had some connections to, uh, the, to Burford that I hadn't appreciated at the get-go. Uh, one was uh, Jim Kilman, who was the incumbent CFO, who was uh, there on an interim basis looking for his replacement. And I also happened to know the uh, head of U.S. investor relations that had recently been hired who came from CIT, where I had previously worked as well. And I will tell you, I, I knew nothing about legal finance uh, as I started to, to get into the process, but I was very intrigued as it was a, a sector of financial services that was emerging and one that I had really no experience in. And obviously, I said I didn't know anything about it, so I had no experience. And uh, it's one where you know there was a lot of similarities and analogies to other parts of financial services in which I have worked. Uh, so the idea of providing non-recourse financing that facilitates uh, commercial litigation was something that was new and particularly interesting to me. And you've been at Burford now for how long? Uh, it's been just over a year. Okay. So you started in the midst of the pandemic. Uh, I'd say maybe in the midst, but what I felt like uh, was maybe the beginning of the end, yeah. uh, if we can think about it that way. I, my first day on the job was actually in this very office where I'm sitting today. So I've actually uh, had, even though my, my experience of getting to know the company and sign on with the company was virtual, my experience working for Burford has been uh, a completely hybrid in-person uh, environment since I joined. And what have been your priorities since starting at Burford Capital? Uh, so I sort of split my my priorities perhaps into two buckets. One is, you know, mine as, as a professional and as the incoming CFO, uh, you know, I had priorities around learning the business, uh, which as I said, was, was a new facet for me, uh, getting to understand how we did things. And so, you know, learning our processes and our tools, obviously getting to know the team, which was a little bit hard to do during the interview process since that was all virtual, but getting here in person and, slowly getting to meet everybody in person, as well as getting to know all of our stakeholders, both internally and externally. And I think from, from a business point of view, you know, my priority has been, if I had to sort of headline it, uh, to streamline and simplify our financial function in a way that supports the growth and scalability of the business. And obviously, all that is is to help also create value for shareholders, because I'd be remiss to say that. I think that's every CFO's primary responsibility. And so within that, I've, I've had a big focus on financial reporting. Uh, we've had a lot of changes uh, that were in, in progress when I joined here. So we, we converted our accounting from uh, IFRS to US GAAP. We became subject to all the control requirements under Sarbanes-Oxley 404, um, we've had a lot going on on the investor relations front. We had a, our first in-person investor day uh, back in November. So, you know, obviously we hadn't been able to do that during the pandemic. Uh, and then also some, you know, focus on outreach and messaging. We've done a lot, uh, the priority around the balance sheet and liquidity management so that we have sufficient liquidity to support our growth. Uh, so we actually did a debt issue earlier this year. 
uh, after doing a tender offer last year and uh, helping to implement change for the group, both in terms of uh, how we're organized and making sure we've got clear accountabilities and people have clear roles and responsibilities, and also the, uh, the technology that we are using. So we actually did an implementation uh, that had, had been started before I got here, but we completed and we're now, uh, we went live with that new technology in the beginning of this year. The last thing I'd say is, uh, you know, also part of one of my priorities has been to help promote the awareness of legal finance among the CFO community, uh, because I, I don't think I was alone. And we know from some of our marketing statistics that it is not a very well-known, well-understood part of the financial uh, toolkit. And so I've, I've done some webinars and some, um, some other speaking engagements to try to promote the awareness of legal finance among some of my peers. Yeah. So talk to us about legal finance. What, what is it? Uh, so at its core, it is providing liquidity and financial resources against the, uh, uh, basically a situation where somebody has been wronged and they want to bring a legal action to recover their damages. And we, we at Burford focus on commercial litigation. So we're just dealing with, with companies. We don't do anything in the personal uh, in consumer space. But it's, uh, you know, the most basic product is what we would call fees and expenses, where somebody is considering bringing a lawsuit uh, if they think that they were, you know, a contract was breached by another party. And a lot of times the, the general counsel will go to the CFO and say, well, you know, we think we were wronged and we want to bring this suit, but here's what it's going to cost. And the, the CFO will, and I've, I've been in that seat, will often say, you know, okay, so what's our certainty of, of getting a recovery on that, of, of winning? And there, of course, there's always risk. And so it's very frequent that uh, it's not in budget for a general counsel to bring that action. And that's where Burford can step in and say, we are willing to do the financing. We'll pay the fees and expenses in exchange for some return on uh, our finance. And that's often in the, in the form of a percentage of what the ultimate proceeds might be in that case. But on the other hand, if they don't win, uh, we don't get our money back. So it's sort of a, a win-win for the company to use our services. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned this was a new business even to you. So when you started, how, how did you learn the business? Uh, a combination of, of factors and the way I think you learn any new business is you read a lot, uh, you talk to a lot of people, and you, you ask a lot of questions. But uh, you know, again, I think that's the benefit of joining uh, you know, as things are in flight because you just jump right in and you, you get updates on uh, what's going on in, in the portfolio of cases. And you, you start sitting through meetings, you hear the case updates, and we sit through, I sat through, uh, I joined shortly before interim reporting in uh, in 2021, and obviously looking at how we did our, our accounting and our valuation for the period, I got deeply immersed. And uh, it's just the, the benefit of time in learning more and more about the business. And I'm, as the world opened up and I was able to travel to other offices and spend time with, with people in different offices, which are primarily in our case, Chicago and London, uh, getting that deeper understanding as I met with more and more people. And you may have touched on this, but what are you most currently focused on in your work now? 
So I, I think it's some of the, the priorities I mentioned before, but, but more specifically at this very moment, uh, and that's that's why I uh, was running in the doors we got started, is we are very focused right now on our interim report for the first half of 2022. Uh, and again, as, as a foreign private issuer, we, we report twice a year. So we're coming up on our, our first half report, and there is much to be done uh, as we're getting near the end of the period to prepare uh, and get ready for that reporting. And, and the other part is related to some of the priorities, which is just continuing to look at our operational discipline, uh, some process improvement work we're doing to try to streamline and accelerate some of our timelines, uh, use our new technology in the most efficient manner. And, and as all of that, uh, and as other CFOs are looking today, I'm sure, at, at how we're making sure we're disciplined around our spend and that we are, are getting the right return on our spend and, and not... Uh, incurring costs and, and entering into long-term cost arrangements that we'll regret down the road. And as you look back on your career, what to you have been the most transformative turning points throughout it? Wow. Um, it's a great question. I think, as I think back, there were, there were a couple of key opportunities that, that I look at as pivot points. Um, perhaps the first would have been when I was given the opportunity to head investor relations for Bankers Trust. And, and that when I was relatively you know, young in my career uh, when that came about. And, and that was my first real management uh, role. And, and I was essentially a public spokesperson for a, a money center multinational bank. And uh, it was a tremendous amount of pressure, uh, but a tremendous amount of opportunity and, and a chance to learn and also uh, start to build relationships that have been uh, lasting for, for my career since. So that clearly was one. I, I think another one that I think about is uh, I, I was at a company called CIT, a uh, commercial finance company that went through a financial restructuring during the, the global financial crisis in 2008, 2009. And uh, I, I would be remiss to say that wasn't an incredibly painful time in my career in terms of uh, efforts and, and what was going on around. But uh, I was given an opportunity to, to work on something that was very much outside my job description, but it was a uh, incredible learning experience, and and both from uh, just sort of professional grit, uh, as well as the financial learnings of dealing in a, a uh, you know, restructuring of a large financial institution. And again, I think that um, gave me a chance to to learn a lot and opened up several doors for me at CIT as, as we progressed from that period. And I'd say maybe the the last one was was also at CIT, but uh, I had been working uh, after that in the investor relations role there, and uh, my boss at the time, the CFO, knew that I, I had aspirations to do to more than that uh, in my career, and he actually gave me the opportunity to run a business line. Uh, so that's when I, I got the opportunity to run our SBA lending, our small business lending group, uh, which had uh, had some challenges based on on coming out of the financial crisis and. Uh, it was a great learning experience in terms of, of running a business and, and dealing you know, with a P&L and dealing with some strategic questions. So uh, again, gave me a very different perspective and, and a great learning experience. 
Yeah, those painful experiences are often the ones that build the most character. Uh, in, in fact, they are, yes. Um, so when you think of a successful CFO, what qualities do you believe are vital? So I, I think there are some, right, there's sort of the table stake ones. So you, you've got to have financial acumen. Uh, and I think that that's a given. Obviously, there's a skill set that goes along with that. But I think on top of that, you need to have a, a certain level of business acumen. So you know, I think to your earlier question, you know, learning the business, I think it's, it's so important that uh, in the CFO role that you are you're a partner to the business and you really understand what the business drivers are and what the core uh, competencies are of the company and, and how the company is going to grow and create value. Uh, you know, I think, you know, thinking back on my career and, and some of the things we just talked about, uh, that level of grit and discipline, uh, being able to, to handle and manage through the unexpected and, and deal with situations, uh, whether they be positive or negative as they come, but always be able to, to stay focused and, you know, see ahead and plan ahead, even though if the outcome may not be clear, have a, a roadmap towards a solution. You know, I think also, as we talked about curiosity, uh, I think, you know, the, the willingness to ask questions, willing, willingness to challenge the status quo uh, are, are really important qualities. And, and related to that, you know, being, being willing to lead to a vision and, and bring others along with you and uh, okay, so everything's sort of related. Related to that is uh, building relationships and having strong relationships both internally uh, with your teams and your management and your your um, your peers, as well as externally with your stakeholders. And you've mentioned previously that as a CFO, it's important to create high performance teams. So, what qualities do you believe embody a strong team? when you think of your direct reports? Uh, you know, I think it's the same qualities you'd look for in, in most teams. So, you know, I, I, I kind of think about maybe it's the three A's. It, it's accountability, it's awareness, and anticipation. And as I mentioned before, I, I believe very strongly in creating roles where people, people have very clearly defined roles and they know uh, what they're responsible for and can be held accountable for. Uh, but at the same time, you want a team that has awareness beyond just their narrow lane and knows that they have stakeholders that their decisions, their actions may impact and being aware of how those actions can impact others and conversely being aware of what's going on around them and how that may impact them and that they need to be prepared and react to that. And, and that gets to the anticipation. It's not just not just doing what needs to be done today, but it's looking ahead and saying, okay, you know, six months, 12 months, next year, um, these things may be becoming. And what should we be doing today to anticipate and prepare for what could be occurring in the future? And, and I'll tell you, I had a very um, a wise mentor at one point who, who uh, sort of coined a phrase that I, I've, I've adopted as well, which is, as you're making decisions, uh, asking yourself a year from now, what are we going to look back and say, I wish I had done then? And, and therefore, sometimes that leads to 
not doing what's easy today, but doing what, if you think about what's being done today and what may need to be done a year from now or more, what's actually going to be the least effort in totality, not just at the moment. And these days, um, you know, high-performing individuals are sought after. So how how are you finding these people and then retaining them on, on your own team? Also, I uh, was very fortunate to, to have walked into a very strong team. And so I, I, I didn't have to find many people. So that, that's always a good thing. That is. Uh, but in terms of, but, you know, I'm, I'm very pleased to say that we've had very low retention. I mean, very, very low attrition. Sorry, very high retention, low attrition on the team. Um, and and we, we have, uh, we met a couple of hires and I've, I've got one. That I'm hoping uh, will come to fruition uh, that uh, I'm working on right now. And, you know, I, I think from a retention point of view, it's, it's what we talked about. It's making people feel valued, making people feel as if they have an impact. Uh, they have a voice. They're, they're part of the decision-making and they're part of the vision. Um, treating people with, and or some of this is, you know, um, motherhood and apple pie, but it, it's treating people with respect, um, you know, realizing everybody is is an individual and a, a person outside the office and not just a role in the office and, and taking an interest in people and, and making sure they take an interest in each other and functioning as a team, uh, which I will tell you, has, as I'm sure others would say, has been difficult over the past two years when so much time has been spent remote and on screens. Uh, in my mind, there, there's nothing that replaces that in-person interaction, particularly the informal interaction that takes place. Uh, sometimes you're either in the office at a lunch or after the office in a celebration. And uh, again, I'm a, I'm a big believer in celebrate all all wins and all good things. Um, and, and I think, you know, from a, a, a hiring point of view, uh, you know, we, we think we've got something special here at Burford. And, uh, and I'll tell you, you know, I... Um, my, you know, I, I try to leverage my network as I, I look for people. And I think that's, you know, sometimes the best way is, is word of mouth or at least uh, creating that, that compelling value proposition for somebody to come and join, you know, a, a smaller company and a smaller team where it may be more work. Uh, but I'd also think a, a lot greater reward in terms of professional learning and satisfaction. And prior to your role at Burford Capital, you successfully managed the liquidity challenges related to COVID-19. So how is it that, that you did that? Uh, <laughs> um, with a lot of hard work and, and a lot of uh, strong teammates around me. So, you know, and, and again, that was, um, uh, you know, it, it was a company called On Deck. Uh, it was a fintech that made loans to small businesses. Uh, you can imagine that in the start of the pandemic in, in uh, March and April of 2020, when so many communities were going into lockdown and small businesses were forced to close, uh, that created some, some challenges for us in terms of complying with the terms of our debt facilities. And you know, I, I say we got through it because on the one hand, we were prepared. Uh, we, we luckily had spent a good amount of time uh, prior to that working on our liquidity management policies and, and practices. And so we had uh, you know, documented all the key uh, 
criteria of our agreements. We had early warning indicators. We had a contingent funding plan. So uh, all those sort of rainy day plannings that we did, we actually got to pull out and use. Um, you know, I think some of it was was being proactive and transparent and communicating very frequently with our lenders. And you know, and I think there, you always win if you're transparent. You always win if you're proactive. And so, making sure people understood uh, the the breadth of the experience, not just the the narrow part that related to them, but what was going on in the business broadly, what we were seeing. Uh, what we were doing in other parts of the business. And, and I think probably the last part is, uh, and perhaps most important, is, is being decisive and being able to, to make some hard decisions, uh, but make them quickly and, and stick with them. I'm hopeful that COVID is over, but it seems that the challenging economic times are not. So can you discuss other ways that companies can increase liquidity when times get tough? So... I mean, I think it's it's always important, as I mentioned, to have that game plan. And so whether it's having, you know, some undrawn credit facilities that you can draw upon, whether it is having plans in place to stem outflows uh, if needed, and also knowing uh, if you needed to raise liquidity, what assets are saleable. And, and available uh, if needed. But I think, you know, the most important thing is awareness so that you, you can see that there might be a liquidity challenge coming and then acting early to start to be very judicious in, uh, in how you let cash out the door uh, and, and make sure that to the extent you are, you're receiving cash and collecting cash, take every step possible to get cash in as quickly as possible. And again, I'm going to ask you to look back on your career, but what mistakes that you've made have taught you the most? Wow. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you think back over your career and I think anybody would be lying if they said they didn't make a bunch of mistakes along yeah. the way. And I think, you know, make, making mistakes is how you learn. Um, I think something that that I share, I, I, it's probably not unique to me, but it's something that has, has been something that's resonated with me is not always acting fast enough when it relates to people and people changes. And, you know, it's never easy telling somebody he or she is not the right person for a role. Um, and, you know, I think often human nature is you want to give people a chance to change uh, or in sometimes I've, I've experienced pressure to, uh, to give somebody more time and give them a, another chance. But I'd say in, in hindsight, I've realized that you know, it's, it's really important to, to go with your gut instinct when, when something becomes apparent and much better to make that change sooner than later. And, and frankly, I think it's, it ends up being best for you, for the company and for the individual yeah. um, who may, may not be in the right role. And I've seen several situations where uh, when you finally do give that feedback and you do make that change, the other person is is very perhaps relieved or, or often finds themselves in a, a new and better uh, situation in which they thrive and will look back and, and I've had some situations where people have thanked me um, for for forcing that change to take place. Yeah, sometimes what we need is, is that <laughs> kick out the door. 
<laughs> or or may, maybe it may not be out the door, maybe to a, to a different floor, a different, <laughs> a different room. But, you know, in, in, right, so often if, if you're not, if, if you don't think it's working, they don't think it's working either. But uh, there's always that, that hesitancy and reluctance to want to be that direct and that open and honest with the feedback. And, and something I've learned is, is you know, feedback often, feedback honest. Uh, is is always maybe the best policy. And you've mentioned this, um, but that developing strong relationships both inside and outside the company is essential. Um, so why do you think this is important and how has this helped you as a CFO? So right, business is all about relationships. It, it's, it's all about people. And to some of your earlier questions, it's, it's all about learning and, and constantly improving. And so, you know, when you, you build strong relationships and you build trust, you, you build the ability to, to learn, to get feedback. Right? And, and I, I have really valued those relationships I've built where people give me that direct feedback of, you know, here's what you're doing right, but here's what you, you could be doing better. And, and you need to be self-aware of this if you're not already. You know, those relationships our chance to to also learn. Uh, so having having peers you can talk to, and when you're dealing with a, a situation, being able to uh, to call up and, and you know talk about a situation, find out have they experienced something similar that they can give you uh, you know their experience and what's worked and what didn't work. Um, it, it is just so valuable, and I think just um, you know from a resource perspective. Um, you know, the, the more you, you build these relationships and you maintain them over time, you develop that network of people that when, when you need expertise, when, you know, back to the question of, of recruiting, when you need to hire somebody, uh, having those relationships uh, becomes your, your source of, of resource that enables you to be more successful in achieving your objectives. And what, if anything, is a commonly held belief in finance that you don't agree with? Hmm. Yeah, it's difficult to say um, what are commonly <laughs> held beliefs these days. And, you know, I, I, I think there's always a lot of diversity of, of thought that exists out there. And perhaps, you know, as we, we see time go on, I'm, I'm encouraged to see more and more diversity of, of thought in the marketplace um, Something I'd say maybe that, that pertains is, at least I've encountered many finance people in my career that think that to do, to do the job right, particularly in the CFO role, uh, in thinking about oversight and control, that part of your job is, is often to say no. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, that, that is a, one that I don't agree with. I, and I actually like to think of my job as not necessarily saying no, but figuring out how to get to yes by understanding what the business objective is, knowing what the financial constraints are, and saying, you know, instead of no, it's, well, not maybe not that way, or maybe not, you know, not now, or maybe not exactly what you proposed, but what if, and, and could we do it this way? And, you know, trying to, to be a little bit more exploratory uh, or at least uh, take more time to understand and try to find the solutions that 
achieve everyone's objectives without putting the company at risk uh, and trying to avoid saying no. That's a great answer. I've, I've heard it sometimes referred to as the CF no. <laughs> Nobody wants to be that. <laughs> um, uh, well, so, so well, I, I, I've worked with some people who were very good at the CF no. It's uh, a phrase I had not heard, but who you know, were sort of known as the, the obstacle. And, and I, right, you know, we all shape our, our professional personas based on our observations of, of what we, we think works and what we think don't, doesn't work and who we want to be and who we, how we want to be remembered. And I, I, you know, have taken that away where I've seen people be the CFNO and said, I don't want to be that person. Yeah. And lastly, what advice would you give to young CFOs or, or maybe someone just stepping into the CFO role who wants a, su- a successful career like yours has been? Uh, I think it's, you know, I feel like we've, we've talked about a lot of it. So I'd say to be curious, um, you know, I'd say always looking for, for opportunities to, to do more and get involved in things that may, may not be right down the fairway and, and what seem like naturals. Uh, and I think in my career, there were a couple of things that I was asked to do, which, you know, I think my immediate reaction may have been, well, does that make sense? And the answer would be, it doesn't matter if it makes sense. I'm giving you the opportunity. And, and so you have to sort of step and say, okay, um, I, I hear you. And, you, you know, you, you take the risk and you give it a chance. And you know, I think just, um, you know, to that point, always, always saying yes. When somebody asks you to take on something, maybe it's a stretch assignment, maybe it's a new project, but you know, being that person that's always willing to try and willing to go that extra mile. And I think also we've talked about people in relationships. I, I think remembering you have one and and leveraging it and realize that you know it, it's not about going alone. It's about going forward with your team and with your extended network to get the best outcome. That's great advice. Ken, thank you so much for being my guest today. Oh, Megan, it was absolutely my pleasure. And thank you for inviting me to join you. Yeah, I really enjoyed speaking with you and hearing about your experiences and all of the resulting insights. And uh, I appreciate you taking the time to be here with us today. Thank you again. To all of our listeners, please tune in next week. And until then, take care. If you're ready to boost efficiency and streamline your accounting processes at significant cost savings, it's time to talk with Personiv. Their people-powered solutions have transformed the delivery of back office tasks and general accounting functions for decades, partnering with clients to provide everything from accounts payable to payroll services. See what Personiv can do for you by visiting personiv.com. You've been listening to CFO Weekly presented by Personiv. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. Want to learn more? Check out personiv.com. Thanks for listening.